Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Coach's Corner University podcast. I'm your host, Paul O'Neill, and today I'm not interviewing anyone. I have a guest host, Dr. Dave Osborne. Hey, great to be here, Paul. Happy to guest host with you. This is going to yeah. be a good, uh, really good episode. We got some good questions. Lined we up. did get some good questions. So this is the first Q&A episode that, uh, that I've done. Um, reason being, I'm going to be ramping up to twice a week podcasts on the channel just to make sure that you know, we can help out as many people as possible, which puts me up to five YouTube videos a week on the channel. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, buddy. We're a content generation machine over here. I'm a creator <laughs> now. I don't know if I don't know if you knew that. I'm a creator. Um funny, Liv was so I was trying to record a video in the kitchen. Yeah. Oh gosh. Liv was in her office. And the way the way the house is here, her her office is like right outside the kitchen. So she like opens her door. I'm like, I'm trying to record a video. And she goes, am I an influencer's wife now? I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like this role. I didn't sign oh, up for this. Yeah. <laughs> but like some of the videos have the dogs in them. Oh, yeah. It's you got to have the random like scurrying on the hardwood. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, what have you been up to, man? What's up? Um. We're getting ready now. We are four weeks out from hosting a WRPF meet at okay. uh, at Ops. Um, we haven't hosted a meet since 2018, back and when we were doing in the gym, right? Yep. Okay. Yep, in the gym. Um, so we haven't done that since 2018. Awesome. Um, with like UPA meets, so now we have WRPF uh, backing us. It's been really awesome working with them as a federation as a whole they've been super supportive really good at providing us resources we have a uh, um rena davis flying flying up from um california with a couple other wrpf okay. refs that are going to help um meet direct and put everything on while monica one of my other coaches at the gym is still getting all her refing hours certified and then we can she can be our meet director after that so like it's a really nice process of making sure people are judges first they get experience with the sport on that side and then they can pivot to meet directing um so it's really well like thought out and put together i'm uh i'm pretty happy with, with how it's all turned out monica's been amazing in terms of like production quality like we have banners oh, we have awesome. partitions segmenting part of the gym right and now, and now we have all the equipment. We have three monoliths, all the competition plates for warm-ups and the competition platform, all the platforms in the warm-up room. Everything's on a platform and looking nice. Three competition elite FTS benches, right? Like it's it's a slick, slick little setup for 6,000 square feet. We're really pumped. I love that. Who's uh, who's the director for the state in Washington? The state director in Washington, um, we are still like, finalizing just because there's been some hierarchy changes with WRPF, yeah, yeah. WRPF um, but it'll probably be Lisa Herrera. Um, she's she's a, a super heavyweight women's lifter. Very, very strong, like upper 470, 480s dots. Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm really excited about is like everyone who's involved um, at like the meet director state rep local is very strong, very well integrated mm -hmm. in the sport and kind of just knows what has to happen at the meet to make it like successful for all the lifters Absolutely. from the local point, but also like 
putting on quality productions that draw in, you know, people from out of state. Mm-hmm. And we've got people coming from Montana and Utah and Idaho and California and Oregon. Right. So it's really cool to see like even local meets get a little bit of travel for them. Right. And really mm-hmm. bring people together, especially on our side of the state um, where you have to cross the mountain range most of the time, three hour drive to go like compete anywhere. Right. So to be able to like hold it in the middle of Washington state's a really great advantage and kind of makes it even playing ground for everyone who's coming to compete. Dude. I love it. I love it. We're uh I'm I'm actually enjoying getting back into like because I was obviously detached from powerlifting for a sure. little bit, but sure. uh, you know one of our one of our coaches is a WRPF meet host up in yeah. Canada, and so getting back into the actual sport of powerlifting and where it's come come along the way. Oh my it's, gosh, it's, it's grown it's, such it's a ridiculous amount. It's incredible, and and you know what? There's a lot of drama and there's a lot of bullshit. Yeah, yeah there, there is. There will always be drama. There will always be bullshit, and. I choose to look at it from the perspective of the people with the loudest voices are not always the ones that you need to be listening to. It's the people yeah. who are actually taking action to improve the sport. Yeah. Say what you will about Garrett fear. That guy loves powerlifting and wants yep. it to be as legitimate as possible. And I saw that in person when he came up to Guelph. Yeah. He pissed off a lot of people, but those people who he pissed off, they were called in their bullshit. Yeah, they and, need a reality check. And they need a reality check. If we want yeah. to make this as legitimate as possible and have it in the enhanced Olympics, which would be fucking yeah. amazing. How if, freaking rad if, is that, if dude? Drug if if enhanced powerlifting makes it to the Olympics before <laughs> tested powerlifting, I will be rolling. I'll be I'll be there at the inaugural fucking event. I'll get tickets. I'll fly everything. Right, yeah. like support Go USA <laughs> signs and everything. Also, love how the main supporter for like the what are they calling it? The enhanced Olympics. The enhanced Olympics. Yeah, is Peter Thiel right? You gotta have that billionaire money. Yep, the founder of PayPal. Amazing. I love PayPal. Sign me yeah. up, Peter. How many drugs <laughs> have you allegedly not bought on PayPal? it's the ultimate sponsor ultimate i don't know Um, what you're talking about i only buy party supplies party supplies perfect perfect um man let's actually jump in let's just jump right in because these questions are really good we have about 10 of them hopefully we can get into through as many as we can in about an hour i don't want to take up too much of uh of our time and i really don't think a lot of people want to listen to that much powerlifting talk but oh they're gonna listen they're gonna like it (laughs) let's start it off with a banger i think the first one would be what is something that you believed in when you started coaching that you no longer believe in now where do you where do you even start i remember okay this is good because i was kind of like going back through like it was like the first beyond the platform uh, podcast I did with Tony and Trevor. Yeah. And I remember saying in that to Tony, Tony, we don't really do singles a whole bunch in training. Singles are for testing. Right. You know, and I, and I just don't want to test myself all that often when I'm training, I'll do fives, triples, doubles, kind of rotate through that. And then I'll do some singles when I get to the platform. I no longer think that's, <laughs> a great way to go about setting up peaking cycles for a powerlifting meet. Yeah. Uh, never touching a single until the competition day. Probably probably not my best moves. 
Yeah, I when I when I read this question, the first thing that popped into my mind was everything. And the reason totally. I say the reason I say that, I, I don't say it in jest, I say it in general because I used to be very opinionated on the fact that there was a right way and a wrong way to do things. Yeah. And I, I used to be convinced that there were certain things that never worked and yes. certain things that always worked. And what I've come to realize of, as I've gone through as a coach, as a lifter, I have prepped for meets and I have clients prepped for meets where we do a lot of singles. I've yeah. done meet preps where I have done no singles. Nope. I've even had a client do a meet prep where he never went over 80%. And all of them have PR'd. It all works. It all works. What what ultimately works is whatever works. And yeah. you're the way in which you program, the way in which you gather data, the way in which you interpret the athlete's response to whatever it is that you're doing, you know, this whole concept of merging strategies, right? Mm -hmm. Very fancy term. And, and Mike gets all the credit. Mike Tashir gets all the credit for that, for the, coining the term. But it's something that we all should be doing regardless yeah. of the programming model that we choose in that we put forth this stimulus, we right. assess the adaptation and we determine if it's actually the adaptation that we want to be having. And then you just plan to repeat that heading into a meet. As much as you can. Yeah. As much as you can. No, nothing's perfect, of course. Right. Um, and that plays into everything, whether it's, you know, mobility work, whether it's, um, whether it's exercise selection, exercise variety, uh, frequency, total volume, there are prescriptions for everything, but ultimately none of these prescriptions matter at all. And that kind of like, I now no longer see, you know, I, I no longer see these direct input output equations, although they mm -hmm. exist. I definitely see it more like the matrix and I'm just like, yes, the flow charts, the flow yeah. charts and everything kind of runs together. Yeah. How then, when you look at assessing what's successful and what maybe wasn't how often do you do that assessment period or does it change is it variable it's it's honestly ongoing sure um, and so that's that's why i work on like a weekly iteration of programs same to allow myself the freedom to pivot one way or the other on a yeah. on a proactive basis rather than a reactive basis yep. and to try different things because in when you program in a very iterative fashion, it's more, it's like agile project management. Like you can yeah. change things up as you go, gather feedback much quicker. And does it get us into a position where we might, you know, veer a little bit too far in one direction or another? Yeah, for sure. Probably. Yeah. But when you, when you look back on that training block, you can look at, okay, like, we trended in this direction and these were our indicators that we were looking for. And, and they're going to be different for everyone, yeah. but doing programs on a weekly basis definitely helps me with that kind of iterative fashion in which I program. Mm -hmm. and this is something that I don't like, I have a lot of trouble conceptualizing the way I do things to people. Sure. I've been doing it for so long. Right. And that's one of the reasons why I love, you know, Coach's Corner and this podcast, because I, I do get to kind of revisit concepts. Yeah. That that question is is a phenomenal one. And I would say the process of review is ongoing, but I do use uh, either off-season peaking blocks or mm -hmm. 
meats as ways yeah. to assess. Um, well, on a meat especially, right? Yeah. Like a meat's such a great, some definitive point of what you've been training for, getting there, going through that uh, event, right? Yeah. And then having an immediate post-action review that's yeah. collaborative, right? Between you and your lifter, your your athlete. And here's some questions. What do you think worked really well? What do you think you struggled on during this prep? What can we do better? Getting that collaboration between you and your lifter going and really putting together something where, oh, they've really thought this part of the block went really well yeah. and really liked that. That's definitely something we can incorporate again or you know, the opposite, right? One thing that I really love about, you know, having these, the post-mortems, like the, the post-activations yes. and and even the week-to-week -to -week touch points and, and multiple times a week touch points, which is something that I try to, to, to tell all the coaches that I work with is like, hey, like talk to your athletes more than just on your check-in days. Oh man, yeah. Your athletes will start to learn what works for them and they yes. will give you feedback when you've deviated too far. Yes, yeah. Um, that's one thing that I have is like a hallmark of my coaching style is it is very collaborative because I want yes. that person involved in the process and learning. And I think that speeds up progress more than anything because the feedback that you get is so much more accurate and timely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, they're, that lifter, they're your biggest source, right, of information. Mm. And to just kind of like go into autopilot leaves so much on the table of what you could be doing to get better buy-in, right? To get real belief in your system and your product. And that, yep. that's where all that ex extraordinary progress happens. Without question. Without question. Uh, your turn. Take okay, good. Let's see here. Let's go with what are, I know you're working with Danny LaMartina. Yep. So what are your favorite parts of working with a coach versus self-coaching? Oh, so in this instance, working with Danny, I had to admit to myself that I couldn't solve my own problems. Yes. Um, so for those of you, for those listening that don't know, I have a very extensive injury history, especially with my left hip, left knee. And I had tried anything and everything that I had access to. I've had tried other coaches. Uh, and finally, Danny's been a friend of mine and she's consulted with me on a number of occasions, actually. So I've you know had consults with her along the years. And every time that I reached out to her, she gave me something that allowed me to be pain-free enough to perform. And I was like, I'm just going to ask her to coach me. Yes. Because when I finished, yeah. like I only competed in bodybuilding because I literally could not train for powerlifting anymore. Right. I, I literally could not squat or deadlift. So I reached out and was like, I would like to return to the platform. Do you think that's possible? And her answer was nothing's off the table. Right. It's just going to take a really long time. And we're, we're, we're actually a year, a year and a month into this. So 13 months into this, I'm training pain-free. I'm squatting and deadlifting every week. Amazing. 700 last month. Like yep. things are, things are going well. I've squatted almost six already. Um, so there's like, I still can't put a bar on my back yet. Sure. So immobile. Yeah. I'm also 250 pounds now. So like, it's oh, Paul. yeah, it's a bit of a, a bit of a way to go, buddy. Yeah. That married um, life plus 20. 
working with a coach for me is a complete relinquishing of control and trust uh, that I'm so grateful to have Danny as that person. She's a close yeah. friend of mine as well. Um, at first it was, it was interesting because she wanted the relationship to be collaborative and I didn't. Yeah, sure. Like, I will give you as much feedback as you want from me, but ultimately I need you to make the decisions because yeah. I'm well aware of my shortcomings as an athlete and that I want to push, 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 push. And that's not what I need in order to be successful. Um, so the fact that I've been able to offload my consciousness onto her, I show up at the gym, I do what I'm told. I get to be an athlete. Yes. Oh, and that to me is so invaluable because I spend all day and this isn't like, this isn't a, a, a gripe of any kind. I spend no. all day pouring into others. Yeah. It's a reality and, of and your I work. I fucking love it. Yes. But it's very full. It's very, very valuable to me to have someone pour into me yeah and uh and for me i would say that's that's the biggest thing is to you know be an athlete again yes i'm learning so much <sighs> for people who don't know danny like she's the way in which she views movement is a lens through which no one else in the industry views movement and I'm so excited for the stuff that she's going to be putting out in the next year, uh, because she, like our goal with her, like she's also one of my business mentees Yes, is we're going to create a curriculum for her to be able to teach her viewpoint to other people. Right. On. Which I know there's oh, so much. So awesome. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I still use her 9090 hip lift video weekly, sending it to people yeah. what she did with, uh, Casey Williams. Oh yeah. I, and she, and Danny's been at this for a long time in the trenches doing incredible work. And like, just like you said, that lens thing is so critical as a coach seems another coach's lens, how they view problems, right? We're all trying to find those same solutions, but everyone's going to have their different biases and the different ways they see things. <laughs> Excuse me. And just getting that, that glimpse, right? And now you're the athlete. You just have to follow the plan. You yeah. look at it, right? When you get on Sunday, okay, I have to be prepared for this day's bench workout, this day's, you know, emphasis on posterior chain, whatever it's going to be, right? And really like, cool, my nutrition's going to be on point. My sleep's going to be on point. You get to be the athlete just taking care of their body. And that's all you have to do is just show up and do the work. Absolutely. You're, are you still self-coached? So I'm working with Josh Bryant now. That's right. Okay. I'm on uh I'm on week 10 with uh week nine, week 10 with Josh. Um, and I'm also having Susan Graham, who's a IFPB pro doing my my diet, my sports cool. nutrition. And yeah. I've been working with Susan since for a while. I want to say September. Yeah, yeah, for quite quite a while now. And it's it's amazing. I've I've never had such good gut health, um, had such incredible sustained energy throughout the day because my carbohydrate intake is really on point and really consistent. Mm -hmm. And before I would always overdose on protein, I'd hit 300, 320 grams and then have no appetite left, right. For the carbohydrates that I actually need. And so we backed off our protein a little bit at the beginning 
so that I could focus on getting in my carbohydrates like I needed to. And now I can do six, 700 grams on a training day with no insulin, nothing, nothing to help that, right. Just pure mm-hmm. training, good meal timing and management. Right. Um, and my f- flaccid, uh, blood glucose in the mornings, your sub 100, flaccid, your flaccid, blood my flaccid, my flaccid, my, uh, fasted blood glucose. Uh, in the mornings is regularly under a hundred where it used to be in the one thirties. Right. And it, oh, wow. Yeah. It's that's a, a huge metric for anyone who is not familiar. You know, is like essentially yeah. resistant. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that was all changed without drugs, without anything, right. Just a proper sports nutrition protocol mm-hmm. incorporated over months. Right. And combining that now with like the kind of volume that Josh gives me, makes it all possible right he's and i know that was hammering you yeah he's absolutely i've never done so much uh upper back work um direct bicep tricep work like the push-ups we do will be like 10 sets of 15 with 60 second rests and i just boom fly through them right um the kind of exercise selection he's using has has challenged me. We're doing like 450 pound sled drags, 600 pound farmer's walks, and then go deadlift, right? And just Ooh. like, yeah, just these really incredible GPP cycles, then getting a little bit more specific and a little bit more specific and a little bit more specific. And Josh has been really good uh, to collaborate with, just giving them heads up like, hey, this movement's a little tricky here. How about we sub this out? Or I have this equipment. What about if we do this? But like overall, it's such a relief to me because I was the same way with coaching. I'm doing everyone else's stuff. I know what training is. I can walk into the gym and make up a workout for myself (laughs) on the spot. And that's kind of what I would do. And like seeing everything laid out now a week ahead of time and knowing the schedule of, okay, we're gonna have a three-week ramp, reload, back off a little bit, three-week ramp, reload, back off and kind of follow that schedule has really, it's different than anything I've ever done before in terms of faster, more frequent reloads. Um, but I can really tell like the consistency of my strength is is climbing and staying a lot higher than it would normally be um, with me just smashing myself week in and week out. And I can really feel it's it's building to something really, really incredible. Whereas like, you know, it feels good to be able to kind of say to myself, like you could, you could PR this meet. Everything's lining up to get a real fat total PR. And it, it, it's just great to have someone in your corner that you want to impress Mm -hmm. that you want to show up for. Right. And then when you do it, you get that feedback and that real sense of pride that coach is proud of me. And they, they, they think I'm doing great and on the right things and shit. That's all I need to have a great freaking training week, you know? Dude, I love it. And uh, the last point that I'll make is that if you are a coach, you absolutely need to be coachable. Yes. So yes. that's one area where I think people miss the boat. If you're trying to coach others, but you've never been coached yourself, uh, you are you are leaving a lot on the table from the ability to learn from somebody uh, in their systems, but also to be in the passenger seat to some extent. Yeah. Um, that's just something I've I've noticed a lot in some younger coaches who, you know, maybe they've only been coached by one person 
That's sure. thing, right? So the more exposures to different people, different approaches, it's going to shape your philosophy a lot more. Yeah. So I think having different learning experiences is, is completely invaluable. And also understanding that being coached by somebody does take a lot of acceptance. Yeah. And that's something that you need to be able to empathize with your clients about. Yeah. And giving up control. Yeah. Absolutely. So it only makes you a better coach. And like, you know, we all, we've all done the chase certifications route and all these other things. You'll do so much, right. To really build up your skill set. And I absolutely agree that like being coached by another coach is just part of building your skill set. It's always the best way. I, I honestly, that's the best way I've ever learned. Like when I yeah. wanted to learn about, when I wanted to learn about what Chad Smith did, I got yes. coached by Chad. When I wanted to learn how Brian Carroll programmed, I got coached by Brian. Um, yeah. You know, Trevor, I, you know, been coached yeah. by Trevor yep. on the nutrition side. I've had a number of nutrition coaches. Uh, even when I, I had my foray into bodybuilding, I chose the best bodybuilding coach I could possibly find. One who is in the education space. I did yeah. his course while he coached me. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I, I'm just a big, obviously I coach coaches and I want to be coached by somebody and, yeah. you know, that's, that's the way I, I choose to do it. So obviously there's a bias there, uh, but this is my podcast. So everyone can fuck right off. It's a good bias. I like it. <laughs> um, all right. A little bit more of an X's and O's question. Tips for perfecting the sumo deadlift setup. Ooh, sumo deadlift. You know, I always like to, I have kind of a formula with sumo. So like, let's say it's a brand new person still learning sumo. They're coming over from conventional, right? Mm -hmm. One of the first things I like to do is go to blocks, right? Yep. And start higher and slowly work our way down to the floor. That way we can work on our knee over our ankle position, right? And get that good house shape. We can work on driving the hips forward and not trying to lean back. Yep. off the floor and off the start because your block pulls automatically going to start in a little bit more forward position um, and really get them the reps and the pattern of lockout and not trying to lean back, but being comfortable staying over the top of their feet and driving forward and through. And that's where I think we've seen sumo change a lot. You want to talk about the beginning of powerlifting, right? Where we are now is we'd see it all the time. So much overextension at lockout, right? Mm -hmm. A little bit soft knee, toes lifting up, just, you know, all these shaky kind of sumo lifts to now sumo's uh, a, an art of an its own. And like, I really like being able to start higher up and work back down to that floor space to really learn the position in all, all ranges of motion of that movement. Yeah. I use a very similar approach. Um, there's a few tenets of the sumo deadlift that have to be maintained. And you mentioned the house shape and you know, I'll revisit a post I made on social media about triangles and straight lines. Yes. So when you look at a sumo deadlift from the side, you want to make sure that the knee is on top of the framework of the foot. You want to make sure the hips are as close to the vertical path of the barbell as possible. And that that lumbar spine is neutral and there is a little bit of thoracic flexion. Yes. Then when you look at it from the front, you want to make sure that that knee is stacked over the ankle and that the, uh, the orientation of the lifter with the bar. Oh, here's actually something... When you screenshot videos to look at your position, 
screenshot the video at the point the bar leaves the floor, yes. not the point where you are in the best position possible. Right, because a lot of times you'll be there yeah, and, and you get pulled forward. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so make sure you're looking at your technique in the appropriate position of the movement. Uh, so, I will start lifters on blocks as well. I also love using uh, a contrast method where mm. I will have the heavier lifts done from blocks, and then the assistance work done with a tempo and in yeah. a, a light pause on the floor. Yes. I call them, I call them library deadlifts. Yeah, so nice. You have, yeah, I don't want to hear the plates touch. Um, and that will reinforce proper mechanics because if you are out of position in that tempo and light touch, I'll be able to hear it. And then, you know, that's your immediate auditory feedback. And that comes to like a great point too, where we see it all the time with sumo, you lock out and then drop back down, yeah. right? And you completely skip over that eccentric pattern, which is just your pull in reverse. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you can control that and stabilize that in reverse, it's nothing to go right back up into it. And yeah. having that eccentric control teaches you the position. Yeah. The other factor with that tempo is, mm -hmm. so this is something that I've become more aware of working with Danny, but the, the kinematics around the pelvis and breathing while we're doing repeated deadlifts is something that is very important because the feet are going to be wider. Yes. The adductors will have to work much harder to stabilize the pelvis. Right. So if you're in any sort of anterior pelvic tilt, you won't be able to hold your brace. Right. So by no. challenging, Slaps. yeah, mm -hmm. by challenging your uh your endurance through the use of tempo and light touches, yeah. you cannot use a respiratory brace. You have to use a muscular brace. So the, yes. the difference between the two, so a respiratory brace for anyone who's, is when you take that Valsalva maneuver into your belt, whereas a muscular brace is a brace done without the additional pressure of air. You can't use a respiratory brace for a set of five tempos because mm -hmm. that's a 50 second set and you're not going to hold Correct. your breath for the whole thing. Right. So by introducing that in that different breathing mechanic with lightweights, obviously. Sure. You can completely change the way that that lifters spine organizes around the barbell. And it's, it's, um, it really deepens your understanding of what bracing is. Yes. Where so many people think their bracing is their breath. And that's when you'll see, Right, yeah. rib cave elevation and mm -hmm. just everything in the lungs versus really understanding that, no, I am pushing out against my belt. I'm creating expansion, right? And I'm holding that flex and that contraction the entire time. You don't even need air to do that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, you're up. All right, let's see what we got. Um, so this is a good one. It kind of goes back to the diet talk we had. What metrics should we track along with our macros for diet? Okay. Um, well, okay. Let's let's go from macro to micro. So we'll go big big picture, and then we'll go daily. So big picture, blood work. Good. Right. We're going to want to look at our blood work. Some important metrics to keep in mind, whether you're enhanced or unenhanced, mm -hmm. uh, are going to be your fasted blood glucose, your A1C. So the fasted blood glucose is essentially the your blood glucose at the time of testing, assuming that you're fasted. Want that below like a 5.2 or below 100, um, depending on the scale that you're using. 
A1C is your hemoglobin A1C is a measure of your three month insulin stability. You're going to want that to be as low as possible, meaning that your blood sugar is as stable as possible. If you're having large fluctuations in blood sugar, that's where that's going to manifest itself. We're also going to want to keep an, uh, an eye on our kidney function. So something like a uh, cystatin C is going to be really important because it's a kidney specific measurement. Also our GGT, which is a measure of our filtration rate on the liver side of things, uh, AST or sorry, EGFR is what you're going to want for your kidneys. GGT is what you're going to want for your liver. Most doctors will take an AST and ALT. Unfortunately, that's not super uh, effective for lifters because AST and ALT are actually not liver specific. They are in muscle tissue as well. So if you're training, it can be elevated. Yeah. Right. It can after. Be elevated through training. Yeah. Same with creatinine levels. So right. if you have a ton of muscle mass and you're training hard, your creatinine levels will be high. And if you're taking an EGFR, an estimated GFR, it takes creatinine into account. Whereas if you're getting a cystatin C, you'll get a true GFR. Um, which is why for me, that's that's very important because <laughs> I do have like naturally higher creatinine levels for whatever reason. Who do you do your uh, blood work through, Paul? Uh, I actually have, so in Canada, we mm -hmm. have our provincial medical care, uh, but I actually pay for a concierge medical service. Right. So I pay 300 bucks a month and my doctor will run whatever labs I want to run. For my clients in the US, I send them to Merrick. Okay, right on. Yeah. Um, okay. Then we're going to get into... Uh, so we got, well, then we got our sex hormones. You're going to want to make sure everything is, you know, in tip top shape. Um, if you are enhanced, you're probably going to want to look at your thyroid a little bit closer because mm -hmm. uh, that can be affected. And then, you know, some other stuff that, uh, that can be beneficial, you know, vitamin D keeping a, a good, a good look at your vitamin D. Uh, if you are, again, an enhanced lifter, looking at your hematocrit and your hemoglobin, making sure you're not running too hot, blood pressure is going to be also really important and, and resting heart rate. Yeah. Important metrics. Um, to note, one thing that I've seen a lot, just kind of not related to this question at all, but worth mentioning, a lot of enhanced lifters will report very high uh, hemoglobin or hematocrit. Mm -hmm. So essentially they have very thick blood. Correct. What they forget is that if they have undiagnosed sleep apnea, you're essentially sleeping in an altitude chamber. So you're making that way worse. And the number right. one thing that I see when people enhance lifters implement a CPAP, hemoglobin comes way down. Yes. It's like, yep. oh, it means you're resting not, heart rate will come down. Resting blood heart rate, pressure blood come pressure down. will come down. Insulin sensitivity will come yep. up. You know, all yep. that good stuff. So, um, and then on the daily, you're tracking your macros. Fantastic. I also love to track fiber. Excellent. For, for every thousand calories that we're eating, we're going to want to have at least four, 12 to 14 grams of fiber. Okay. Gut health, huge, hugely important. And having enough fiber will mean that we are, number one, fiber sequesters cholesterol. Yes. It also stabilizes the release of glucose into the bloodstream. It also allows us to form, to have well-formed bowel movements and make sure that our GI emptying is at an appropriate speed. If you don't yes. have enough fiber or if you have too much fiber and not enough water, it can affect gastric emptying, which can lead to, you know, that stinky sulfury fart. 
That's because the food isn't moving through you at the appropriate speed. And usually your protein sources and carbohydrate sources are fermenting in your gut. Yes. And that's why you have that sulfury poop. Um, so I love to track fiber. I also love to track steps to make sure that we're getting an appropriate amount of non-exercise physical activity. You have something to add? For steps. Yeah. What do you think? Okay. Not <clears throat> just to be healthy, right? Not just to get your bare minimum, but yeah. like an actual performance increasing amount of cardiovascular, not non-intense work, right? What do you think a good step count should be? I'm going to push back because I don't, if you're trying to improve your cardiovascular fitness steps, isn't going to do it. Fair. Good. Because if, if you're just tracking steps, it's not going to, it's not going to matter. It's too low. It's too low threshold. Okay. Um, so with steps, it's really interesting. So 10 K steps always gets thrown around. Um, and people will say, Oh, it's a bullshit number because the Japanese blah, 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 blah. Well, under 5,000 steps a day, you're considered to be sedentary. Yes. So take that into account. There's actually a linear increase in positive health outcomes from 5,000 steps to 12,000 steps for every thousand steps you go up. Yeah. So for every thousand steps from five to six, six to seven, six to eight, you're getting more and more and more healthy at 12,000 that tapers off. You're still yes. getting some health benefits above 12,000, yes. but it tapers off to a significant extent. Plus the time commitment allotted to that. That's 120 minutes of walking. Sure. That's a lot of walking. And most people can't get 12,000 steps in a day without structured walks. Sure. So what I typically say is whatever you're getting now, let's work our way up to 10,000 and maintain that as a baseline. If we're trying to inc increase cardiovascular fitness, then we're going to add cardio on top of that, but we're going to include those cardio steps within our 10,000. Okay. So for me, I get 10,000 steps a day, no yeah. matter what, but sometimes... 30 minutes of those 10,000 steps is on an elliptical. Yeah. Steady state and steady okay. state, 100, 115 to 130 beats per minute. Love it. Um, yeah. Steps. I also track sleep and perceived sleep quality. I'm not big on measure on like aura rings and stuff like that. Whoop bands, because those are all like, if you're tracking is some, something a lot of people don't know. If you're tracking HRV, yes. HRV is a lagging metric. Correct. So by the time your HRV is fucked up, you're already overtrained. Right. I also don't give a fuck if my HRV says I'm great when I feel like shit. Sure. So, sure. And I don't care if it tells me I suck when I feel great. Yep. So I would much rather go off of perceived, uh, perceived sleep quality. Um, I also will track, uh, I track resting heart rate with some of my clients. Yeah. I track a few biomarkers like perceived level of stress uh, mood, mental acuity, libido. And I'm not saying, I also will caveat this. These are interesting me metrics to track, right? Not necessary metrics to track. Correct. Cause not every client, you know, whether I have a lifestyle client who's, sure. you know, a CEO, I'm not going to get them to track all that shit, mm -hmm. track the bare minimum. Yeah. Um, what has the most carryover? What, what has the most, what, what can I about? use? Um, and yeah. then lastly, on the measurement side, I will take progress pictures and I will take a waist circumference. Nice. I think the progress pictures is woefully underused. Oh my God. Yeah. And it is the greatest thing when you're talking about where you just started and you get three months in and being able to see that week to week to week to week to week to week difference is the most motivating 
and just great feeling you're going to feel about yourself. Even if you're not doing amazing, you're going to see a difference Yeah, over a I, long enough time period. I even noticed, look, I take progress pictures very sparingly. And mm -hmm. the reason I do that is actually because I have very deep-seated body image issues. And yeah. this is this is coming from a guy. I weigh 250 pounds. I have yeah, you're fat. Like this is like fucking stupid. And I'm very well aware. But I took progress pictures before our wedding. Yeah. And then I took progress pictures a couple days ago. And I've been feeling fat. And I'm like, whatever. But the only reason I'm feeling fat is because I weigh 250 pounds. Right. You see the number on the scale. I'm like 13 pounds heavier than before our wedding. But then I look at the progress picture and I'm like, I'm not that fat. I'm holding it really well. We're doing good. And it's like <laughs> the only reason I feel fat is because the number's higher and because I'm eating more food. So at the end of the day, I'm a little bit distended. And like, there's a lot of shit going on there. But yeah, me taking progress, I even still this long into the game, yeah. see the benefit of progress pictures. Like I have a client, he's been like a little bit disappointed. He's like, man, I've only lost a couple pounds. You've been at this for three months. And I said, bro, Look at your start pictures. Look yes. what you look like right now. I have a lifter. He started with me at 268 pounds. So he's a 2,100 pound total guy. Fucking yeah. jacked. 268 pounds. We got him down to like 255 and 268 eating like 3,000 calories a day. Oh, sure. Yeah. He's back up to 257. So he's nine pounds lighter than when we started. He's yep. eating a thousand calories more per day. Yes. And he has abs. Yes. I'm like, that's your progress picture. Yes. Look at that. And his total went up. It's like Every, it, everything's working. Progress pictures. Right? Take your fucking progress pictures. Yeah. I don't care how fat you feel. Take your pictures. You're going to be happy you did. And yeah. that's and that's such a great point, too, is like understanding that if you are eating more than you were eating prior, mm -hmm. especially if you're at a lower body weight. Right. Mm -hmm. And your body composition's improved. Like that's, that's your win is well, you have so much more muscle mass now and your body's so much more efficient with its metabolic processes that you need more calories to weigh to weigh less than you were before. It's the amazing. Other, the, the metabolic efficiency is one thing, but take into account. It's like, if I can eat a thousand calories more at this same body weight, that means that I have a thousand calories more available for my body yes. to turn into tissue. Yes. So that's, that's the argument that I always have had with like a high flux diet being a better yeah. option. High flux, meaning high physical activity, high calorie input, because that's truly how you're going to create this, this like unicorn body recomposition. I guess yes. the goal, the dream maintenance is relative to output. Yeah. So if my output is high, my input of calories has to match in order for me to be at maintenance. If I jack up my activity level and I jack up my calories, that's just more stimulus on one side right. and more input on the other side to create change. Yes. And the amount of crazy transformations that I've been a part of just by implementing, hey, let's get 10 to 12,000 steps a day. Yeah. Let's add food here and let's try to maintain body weight. Look yes. at like Jordan Wong. You ever, you ever oh seen my Jordan gosh. Wong lately? I, I saw Jordan at the pro and I did not recognize him because his body looks so radically different. Dude, he's it, it was back now. Was that, was that Jordan? 
Yeah. It, incredible. Looks incredible. We didn't even have, he died in only 2,800 calories. Down to, down to 198. Wow. 198. Yeah. So yeah. Um, hopefully, hopefully we covered everything. You could track, yeah. listen yeah. with nutrition, you can track literally anything and everything. But the main points that I will say is if you're going to track something, make sure that you use it in your decision-making and yeah. that goes your training as well. Right. That's right. a great point. Um, okay. Here's a question for you. Cause I haven't necessarily had to deal with this too often, except with myself. How does peaking change when travel is factored into the equation? I think this is like. This was our initial, like for my group that we went up to um, Victoria, BC in mm -hmm. April to compete. This was one of our big factors um, was we recognized that, okay, we're all getting very strong. We're all getting into this elite tier of powerlifting and we want to be able to go do the biggest meets. Yep, And that's going to require travel. And that's going to require possibly going out of country. Now we have things like the ab series pro, um, and other like uh, events in powerlifting, WRPF now. Worlds in like Poland or something. Yeah, and and so you just you never know where that next big competition that you may qualify for yeah. is going to be. And traveling and competing is a skill set, right? And so it's something you need to get more and more comfortable doing as you bridge out of the local level, the regional, and the national level, right? And so where I figured we could start because we're in Washington, we're used to traveling like three hours, four mm -hmm. hours for me. And that's one thing, right? Road trips and stuff like that. But Victoria yeah, yeah. was going to be a five, six hour trip. Mm -hmm. Plus you're going into another country. And so like in terms of like things to consider when you're peaking and tapering with a travel meet is you want to have as much time to get there and get settled yeah. and adapt to the weather conditions. Uh, if there's altitude differences, right. And just get acclimated to your surroundings, get to know the city you're going to be in, where the competition is going to take place. Are you walking? Are you driving, having your food laid out? Okay. Are we going to get there early enough? Is our hotel going to have a kitchenette or are we going to get an Airbnb with a kitchen and making sure your food, right? Because ideally I would like to be at a competition where I'm traveling three or four days prior to compete. I was going to say when, like for a Saturday meet a Wednesday is like, your yeah, is really good. And like being there on Wednesday, not flying on Wednesday. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that really makes a big difference when you're talking about, especially if you have to water cut into that meet, um, and just being able to balance your body's fluids, right. And get some time to shed off that, that weight you're holding from travel. So the nutrition, I think is one of the biggest parts of competing, um, for travel meets and having that all squared away, also working out. Are you traveling in a group? Are you traveling by yourself? Is there a, who's going to drive? Who's going to fly? What groups are you with? Um, I, I've, kind of like it when we go as a team. So like in Victoria, we had, I think six or seven, maybe eight people um, all went up together as a team and competed. Um, and it's just nice to have everyone there on the same page. Everyone knows the schedule, knows we're getting meals at this time. We're cooking together, right? We're establishing our, our community and our game plan before we go in. Mm -hmm. um, and then especially like on meet day in travel. Again, this kind of goes back to the nutrition stuff, but just having that 
everything with you, yeah. right? And having the equipment to facilitate that, coolers, bags, whatever it's going to be, um, even having someone running, you know, like orders to go get water, snacks or energy yeah. drinks or whatever it is, a runner is really helpful. Having roles within your team or within your crew, uh, these people are going to be in the warm-up room together. So they're going to help organize the warm-up room and run the racks. I think like as much as you can make it as, if you can make it as comfortable as possible in that warm-up room, especially traveling, being around people you haven't met before and everything else, and kind of like just show some leadership and start getting that warm-up room running the way you know it should makes a huge difference with travel meets. Um, and just kind of embracing the fact that you're meeting lifters that you haven't met before. Yep. This is part of the community, right? And just being friendly with everyone and making new friends and really expanding that can make all the difference in a warm-up room when everyone's on the same page, everyone knows when they're coming back up in the circulation for warmups and everyone's there focused on each other, cheering each other and, you know, and invested in one another. Mm -hmm. I think that leadership aspect in the warmup room, especially when traveling becomes a big point and you don't want to feel isolated and alone while you've gone to this whole different place to go compete, the more people, right. You can really build support with on the day and really build some good friendships with the better your competition's going to go. And so that's why I try and tell people is if you're going to go and travel, you better make friends yeah. in that, in that warm-up room. And it, and it really kind of makes a difference um, in terms of your performance on the day. Yeah. A few things that I would try to consider in my training leading up to it yeah. is trying to mimic the time of my training sessions mm. to the time I'm, I'll be competing. So if there's a time difference, I'll factor that into my training time. Uh, so when I was, you know, going from Ontario to compete in Edmonton, there's a two hour time difference behind. So I was training two hours earlier than I normally would train just to get acclimated to that. Uh, the other factor is making sure if there is a time change, you get there with enough time to acclimate your sleep schedule and yeah. that factors in the nutrition too. So the, the sooner you can time up your nutrient nutrient intake to the timing of the local meat that you're going to be competing in, the better you will be. Next is if there is a time change, leveraging supplements like melatonin and magnesium to make sure that your sleep is right. as full as possible to reset that circadian rhythm as quickly as you can. High dose melatonin, like 20 milligrams or more can be really effective. Usually for that reset. Yeah, melatonin is usually dosed like three to five oh, milligrams, but five, just yeah. hammer 20, 20 milligrams for a couple nights in a row, and you'll be able to uh, you'll be able to reset a little bit quicker. Um, and then I would also make sure that, uh, and this is going to sound really bad, but you're going to want to tailor your attempt selection to things that you are super confident with. Yeah, because you need to accommodate for the unknown as much yeah. as you control variables. You have no idea what's going to go on. So I would make sure that you're approaching the meet with the expectation that no matter what, you're prepared for anything and your attempt selection should mimic your level of preparedness. So, you know, I've made some mistakes in the past. You open way too heavy. Sure. And then you end up sewering yourself or, you know, especially if you're traveling with a team, are you helping out other people the day before you're competing? Yep. You know, when I competed at hybrid, I coached live all day the day before. Yes. Yep. Um, and that was after a little bit of a weight cut and I, you know, I hit my PR squat and then I was dead the rest of the day. Right. 
So, you know, I didn't factor that into play. Um, that, that's I a good trade for the world because I well, she had a fucking hell of a day. But yeah, that's those, a huge point. Matter. That's a huge point, especially you talk about being a coach and you're going to go compete with your athletes, which is kind of like that next level of challenge yep. as a coach is like, I still want to compete at a high level, but I want my lifters to as well. And I want them to be taken care of. And, you know, we see Trevor do it all the time. There's lots of coaches now that can compete and coach at the same day. And I think that's just part of upping your game as a coach, as an athlete, and as, as being prepared, like you said, knowing, okay, I have three people the day before, I have two or three people the day of, or maybe more. So who can I get to help the people out competing before I compete, right? And make sure that all their attempts are going to be set. Yeah, and make sure you have your food, your of. water, your salt, yes. everything, like, um, so I think travel does listen, it's not rocket surgery. No, just cover your bases, check your boxes. No. And then you can do a little bit of stuff on top with regards to managing your sleep schedule, your eating schedule, your training schedule leading into the, to the meat. Um, and I would probably extend your taper a little bit just to be safe. Oh, sure. I would much rather come into a meet feeling a little bit lethargic right? versus showing up, showing up like, really almost bordering on overtrained yeah drained out and just... I'd, much, I'd much rather be way too fresh than way too tired totally totally especially when you factor in the the the, the recovery of travel yeah because that's that's already going to eat a into you a little sure. bit yeah um you got one more question we'll finish it yeah up. make it yeah. a good one make it a good one make it a good one like what your opinion is of powerlifting coaches that are not strong, have never been strong, will never be strong, coaching a sport about strength. Oh, man. Okay. I'm going to take, I'm going to play devil's advocate. Good for you. Because it's my I'm favorite. Not. It's my favorite job. Outside of being a husband, being a devil's advocate is my favorite job. Um, listen, there are a lot of people who are incredibly intelligent so could they potentially be great coaches? Yes. You think Boris Shako ever hit a fucking world record? No, he didn't. No, no, sure. But he also has a resume of people who have yeah. done incredible things in the weight room. He's also been involved in that process for years and years and years and years. So his amount of evidence, yeah. the amount of evidence that he has of his ability to get people strong far surpasses his own accolades. Yes. Now you are not Boris Shako. I mean, I am a doctor of powerlifting. You are a doctor of powerlifting. I will give you that. But you have to earn your keep in that regard. Yes. So I would much rather look at what has this coach done for their lifters? Have they made weak people strong? Have they made stronger people stronger? And have they made strong people the strongest? Then looking at, okay, what's their experience level? How long have they been doing it? What's their education? That sort of thing. Thirdly, I would probably look at their own personal sure. accomplishments. That would probably be third on my list. Um, But in this day and age, I know like, oh, that person's really strong. I want them to coach me. It's like the first thing. That it, 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 it can be. Yeah. Yep. But Ultimately, my gut reaction to that question is, 
Like if you can't, if you're not strong and you never be strong and you never have been strong, like how 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 do you empathize with your lifting? How do you how do you do load management? Yeah. How, how do you yeah. tell someone you know that their ninety percent is eight hundred? Cool, do it for a triple. Like I, I actually that question you asked that question I thought of like you coaching Logan Verner. Totally, this motherfucker's doing speed work triples yeah. at seven hundred. Like, yep. how are you going to load manage that? Yeah. A deeply collaborative relationship. And what's funny when you talk about Logan, because that's how you know, like you're going as a coach, you are going to get lifters much stronger than you. It's going to happen. It's right. And your job is to just not fuck them up. Right? right. And so you'll be a little conservative at first and then you'll kind of see how they do and they'll blow your expectations week in and week out. And it's just insane. And you start asking them for their feedback. Okay, what hurts? What's what's aching on you? Are we good to push again? Mm-hmm. Right. And so, like, especially with Logan, with TJ, with Nate, um, it it's constant. How do you feel? What what do you feel after that session? How did the lift feel to you? Did anything go wrong? I can see what's happening with it, right? But what are you feeling as it's occurring? And how do you feel after that session? At the end of this week, how do you expect you're going to feel? Do you have any trips coming up, stressors? Like what's going to make this that much more complicated when we look at what we're putting together? And then I always try and like work backwards off of what the goal for the competition is. Yeah, I do the same. Right? And so, okay, if we want to squat a PR of 881, Okay, that means at three weeks out, we need to hit something between 825 and 840 that's pretty fucking fast and doesn't fuck you up and doesn't drain you. So at six weeks out, which is where like I like to do like an RP9 single that lets me know what we should be shooting for at three weeks out. Okay, we need to be at the 800 range or a 780 that's really fast, right? And work backwards kind of like that. Um, Taking notes because this is what I'm going to (laughs) do. Yeah, right. And it's, it's, it is so much more uh, because it is high stakes, the amount of work you're going to put into even just a one week training block training um, is going to be a lot more and it's going to require a lot more from that athlete in terms of what do you feel prepared for? Right. And what are, what are you ready for? It's going to be a lot of midweek pivots. Yeah. And if you don't know how to do that as a coach, if all you know how to do is write a four week block, three weeks up, one week down, right. And rinse and repeat what happens when they get two or three weeks in and they're already jacked up and you can't pivot out of that. Yeah. And now we're, now you're six weeks out from a comp, right? Like what are you going to really realistically be able to do and fix? So our overall answer to this question is we think that those coaches who are not strong, never have been strong and never will be strong should go fuck themselves. Yeah. They can fuck off. Like it's um, powerlifting. It's not that hard. <laughs> Man, that was uh this is like the best possible way to start these like Q and A's is actually to have a lot of fun with it. So um, don't you think? Yeah. We, uh, Listen, for everyone who doesn't know, Dave and I collaborated on an amazing course, The Essentials of Online Coaching. And we, like, it's launched, it's live, you can participate. But Coaches Corner U is actually going through a full revamp, relaunching the website, and very, very excited about the new features that we're going to be able to have and the more interactions we're going to be able to have with people in our courses. So 
stay tuned for that. Dave, what's next for you, competition-wise, coaching-wise? Yeah, uh, so we have our March 2nd, Legends of the Iron Temple at Osborne Performance Systems. That's the meet we're hosting. Uh, May 5th, um, myself and like, I think we have 12 other ops lifters. Oh, shit. We're doing, yeah, we're going to do um, the Fighter Quick Classic in Vegas at Michael Marino's gym. Um, and so that has an untested uh, day, day one, and an untested day, day two. Um, so I'll be coaching day one and day two. Um, and I just have to figure out, we're waiting to hear and see who's going to make prime time on day two. Um, so I have lifters in the regular session and the prime time session on day one. And then I have lifters in the regular session, day two and the prime time session, day two. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's kind of just seeing where I'm going to land on that. Um, Hopefully I get into the primetime session. That'd be, that'd be pretty fun to do that with like Dr. Seth. Um, my, uh, my best friends, Nate and Brandon are doing it and they're over 500 dots lifters. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So it, it, there should be a lot of good, good competition there. I'd like to squat 760 bench 551 and pull anything over like 733, something like that. Yeah, um, set, yep. And set up a, a new, uh, and a new a new total PR at 308 and have it be like an actual overall PR. So that's that's really exciting. Dude, pumped for you. For me, I'm uh hoping to compete. Yes. Sure. Yes. yes. I'm gonna do everything I can. We uh Liv's competing twice in like May, well, two or three times, May, June, July. Woo! Uh, so end of the year is probably where I'll do it. We also have plans to start for start trying for children in 2025 which i'm super excited about dad gains bro it's the dad best gains. yeah so I'm, I'm trying to uh trying to plan so that i can get in a competition either in bodybuilding or in powerlifting i would hope yeah. it's in powerlifting um but i do want to challenge myself towards the end of the year in something uh we got i have a couple clients competing at the arnold so i'll be right in columbus uh, in a couple weeks and then we got a few clients competing in the IPF circuit up in Canada, getting ready for uh, provincial centrals. Yeah. That. Provincials is coming up. Yep. Provincials is coming up. So that'll be great. And trying to, you know, do a whole bunch of cool shit with master athletic performance and, you know, so it'll be, it'll be awesome. Dave, thank you so much for being on and we'll Absolutely, definitely have you back. I mean, these Q and <laughs> these Q and A's are awesome. So um, and they're great ways to get additional content for, you know, my content building endeavors. You, you gotta have, you gotta have the content, buddy. You're up five days a week. Now you five gotta have constant revolution. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you everyone for listening. Please make sure to like, share, subscribe, and click the link for notifications. And if you have any questions, just drop them in the comments and we'll be sure to ha have whatever your question relates to. It's my goal to have an expert in that field on to answer those questions. So We'll talk to everyone next time.